Welcome to the very first episode of the Archive Jazz Podcast. My name is Christopher Peck, and I'm joined by my Archive Jazz partner in crime here, Tom Everett. Tom Everett at the ready. How you doing today, Tom? Beyond words, thank you. Nice, nice. On today's episode of the Archive Jazz Podcast, we're going to be introducing one of our co-hosts, Mr. Tom Everett, and taking a look at some of the Grammy winners from this year's awards, as well as checking out some new releases that are coming down the pipe. So thanks for listening. So let's start with a little bit of your background for our listeners who might not be very familiar with you. Kind of just tell us how you got your start in the music industry and uh, kind of some of the highlights from your career, if you have any. Well, I uh, went straight from college into working at a record store in Minnesota, the Twin Cities. Um, I've been collecting music and listening to music for a long time, most of my life. Got a job in what was then called record distribution. In the Twin Cities, there were quite a few record distributors and got a job with them and began to learn part of the business. And came to Capitol Records a few years after that and spent a long time with Capitol Records and then became the general manager of Blue Note Records. Um, always being a jazz fan, I had the privilege and pleasure of working with Mr. Bruce Lundvall and uh, the great Michael Kiskuna and also um, the whole reissue program at the time and signing new artists and bringing new talent to the recorded Blue Note catalog. But also before that, I was in uh, EMI Classics with the great Brown Meggs, his later years running EMI Classics. Cool. Those were wonderful people. Awesome. Gone, unfortunately. And but, so how'd uh, you get into jazz? Was there a, you know, a particular record that kind of turned you on? Or? Um... I always enjoyed jazz. I was in a, I was, played piano rather poorly in a jazz band in high school, and then uh, realized that I was better off listening to it than trying to play it. But uh, the kids I hung around with in high school were all musicians, most of them, and started collecting records and uh, rock and and jazz. But uh, just kind of gravitated towards the jazz. Cool. And yeah. uh, enjoyed it and had the chance to move to New York in 1992 after five years in L.A. and worked at Blue Note Records and EMI Classics and started going to jazz clubs in New York. And once you start, it's hard to stop. For sure, for sure. Was there a moment that you knew you kind of wanted to pursue a career in the music industry? No, I just kind of evolved into it. I mean, right after college, getting a job in a record store was a good education. And being in the Twin Cities was a really lucky place to be because even though it wasn't a huge population, there were huge changes. Target stores, Musicland, all of their central offices were in the Twin Cities. So every record company had a uh, representative there. And um, I used to follow one of the reps who would go from store to store selling his promos that he would just get in and sell them and I would go in and buy them about two dollars and fifty cents a piece <laughs> and still have a lot of those LPs. Cool. Who were some of your favorite artists that you worked with over the years? The whole Blue Note roster at the time, Jackie Terrison, Javon Jackson, Joe Lovano, John Schofield, Ileana Elias, uh, on and on. Uh, Marcus Printup, um, Charlie Hunter, Kurt Elling we signed, first signing, first label he came to. So there was always somebody. To work for a record label and work under Bruce Lundvall was 
wonderful thing to be. And he was the king of jazz at that time as far as signing a former, former president of Columbia Records. He was uh, a great fellow, and uh, we also, I also got to work with Michael Cascuna, who was one of the great jazz producers and jazz reissuers and uh, still a friend to this day. Cool, cool. Are there any types of, you know, subgenres within jazz that you're, you know, particularly fond of? Any kind of... No, I just, I like a variety of things. At the cafeteria, I take something from every little bowl that goes by. So it was just, there's just so much to enjoy with this music, so much variety to it, that uh, there's no reason to not listen to some of it. All of it's worth listening to and checking out. Awesome. Yeah. Then when I moved to New York from L.A., then it was just a cornucopia. There's more music than you can see or afford or get out to see and have the time to see. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I think we can go straight into the Grammy talk from there. Have, have you ever been to the Grammys, Tom? Yes, about a half dozen times. Awesome, awesome. Any the, particular highlights from those Oh, those there's trips? one. <laughs> we signed a young woman named Nora Jones. My might boss have, signed Might her, have heard of her. Brought her to Blue Note. We signed her. Capital did. Blue Note did. And um, when she... The last time, I believe, the Grammys were in New York City uh, was when she won her armload of Grammys. That was, was a famous photo of her trying not to drop all of them. <laughs> well, I guess we can start with uh, the first award we have listed, which is the Best Improvised Jazz Solo. Um, any highlights from this besides the winner, which was well, John DeVersa? John DeVersa, you know, it just, of all of the categories, I think this may be the most ridiculous uh, <laughs> to chew, to prove a, or pick a solo sure, um, out and boil it down into five possibilities uh, when there's just amazing music being made and not enough people really to buy it all and listen to it all. Um, but that said, this is, you know, five people that deserve it. There's probably another 25 that deserve to be on here, too. Sure. Um, if you're a Brad Meldow fan, Fred Hirsch, both two of the best pianists of our time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was a... a the John DeVersa record, Don't Fence Me In, mm -hmm. with the American Dreamers, Voices of Hope, Music, and Freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the one that won the award, um, yep. and it's kind of perfectly placed, given the news going on and mm -hmm. uh, rooting for the underdog, etc. But sure. the music is really fantastic. Sure um, is, and, and I enjoyed the the little interviews that they did with some of the artists that kind of prefaced each track. That was a nice touch. And you know, he was a very highly esteemed instructor at mm -hmm. the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Frost School of Music, right, wonderful right. place, and sure. uh, just to see all the people involved with this record get recognized for it with an award was pretty good. Yeah, not only uh, did his solo win for best improvised jazz solo, he also won best arrangement and uh, you know the best large ensemble album. So well, and also it wouldn't hurt this time of the year, this year especially, to talk about American Dreamers, etc. For sure, very timely, and music is very, very good. Definitely. So we'll move on to the best jazz vocal album category, and uh, one of our favorite records of last year, which was "The Window" from Mac Avenue and Cecile McLaurin Savant. I mean, obviously Sullivan Fortner. 
what a guy and what a player. Well, it's it's really his kind of year. His um, the duets are extraordinary. Her singing's amazing, but his comping and playing behind her is just some of the best I've ever heard. Yeah, it's really amazing, and yeah. uh, she's a fantastic singer. But he's at least fifty percent of this album. Uh, extraordinary playing, extraordinary empathetic playing, and. Uh, his his discs on Impulse are wonderful too. Right, right. Moments preserved. Mm-hmm. That was the last one he did from last year. That one is awesome. Yeah, it seems like those two are are just an awesome pair. Just the way that they kind of they mix together. It's it's really an awesome album. Yeah, it was. Um, and also the other singers, Freddie Cole, Nat Cole's brother, who's mm-hmm. still at it after all these years, right. and just making his perfect little records after perfect little records that are wonderful to listen to. And still sounds great. Yes, he's got a tremendous voice and has held up quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Elling, an uh, old friend of mine, we signed him to Blue Note, made five or six discs with him a few years ago. Definitely. Um, he has won before, um, and uh, he's lately been playing with Joey Calderazzo, and um, he's done some work with Branford Marsalis, too. Yep, yep. Always good to see him there. Yeah, he was also featured on uh, that All About That Basie album, which oh, was yeah. uh, the, also nominated in the Best Large Jazz Ensemble category. So, yeah, Kurt, one of my favorite artists, you know, just a powerhouse vocalist. Um, and, uh, yeah, kind of. T- could you talk a little bit about how you kind of met him and, and kind of came about? Uh, well, we had heard things. You know, he's from Chicago, and we had heard from people that there's a fantastic young singer in Chicago, and my boss and I, Bruce Lundvall, flew out to see him at the Green Mill, where he played every week, and we're just blown away. He was already in control, an incredible singer, um, great choice of tunes, great ambition, and uh, we signed him right away. And uh, uh, he's made, I guess he made about a half dozen records for the Blue Note label around mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and uh, some live, some with orchestra, some with his band, uh, yeah. which originally and most of those early records is pianist Lawrence Hobgood. Right, right. He's a fantastic player unto himself. Yeah, yeah. I picked up his first Grammy win a couple of years ago for the Johnny Hartman and John Coltrane dedication album, um, and this was his thirteenth nomination. So I mean, yeah, he's on a roll. And well, does... there's really nobody like him. Right. Uh, he's really kind of defined and created his own place really yeah um and the way he's singing the way he's pushing boundaries and the way he's trying out new things and uh he's a very restless spirit very creative person and it was a pleasure and privilege to be able to work with him and get to know him yeah and when he first came to new york we we had set up i can't remember what the exact number was but he played about 25 dates in 30 days in the new york and around new york city sure all sorts of places, bars, uh, clubs, um, uh, schools, and um, it was just kind of an immersion, a little experiment to see how things worked. And he ended up making an enormous amount of fans on that two weeks he was in New York, just playing uh, gig after gig. There you go. And still today, when I go to see him, there seems to be, especially in New York, there's somebody that'll talk about seeing him in those initial. It was really just kind of an avalanche of appearances. It really worked well for him. There you go. Cool. So, um, any any other comments on I uh, on the the window? I mean, we talk about how great an album that is. We've got a interview with Sullivan online at archivejazz.com. If you guys want to go check that, I out. I also recommend his two records. I think they're both on Impulse. 
they're fantastic. And uh, Salvanto's a fantastic singer, but just to hear his comping and the way he supports her and leads the tunes and mm -hmm. structures the tunes. Right. It's just like an education and an accompaniment every time I hear that record. Definitely. And I mean, the thing that strikes me about Cecile is just kind of her com combination of influences. You know, you can hear a, a little bit of, you know, all the gr jazz greats, you know, a little bit of Ella, a little bit of Billy, but she puts her own... She's oh, got she's her, own her own voice. Singer, yeah. yeah, it's it's really fantastic. So, and this uh, was the third Grammy win for Cecile. Uh, her last two records went on to both win the best jazz vocal album. So, she's on a roll. Yeah, it's not quite fair. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. But I mean, Kate McGarry did a wonderful record mm -hmm. um, with Gary Versace on keyboards. The subject tonight is love, mm -hmm. and. Um, Kind of the oddity, not an oddity, but uh, the Raoul Bidon with the Metropole, Metropole Orchestra, orchestra conducted by Vince Mendoza, who's a brilliant arranger. Raoul is just an incredibly talented singer, songwriter, guitar player, and uh, mouth noise player. Right, right. And uh, it's kind of a jazz record, but it's worth listening to, regardless of uh, jazz or not, whatever you file it. So with that, we'll move on to the best jazz instrumental album. Any uh, any major takeaways for you? Well, this, this is get to this category. It's it's just a little debatable because uh, how do you boil down so many great jazz albums to five? Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess you just Academy members vote, and there you have it. And Tia Fuller was kind of a surprise from Mac Avenue. Sure. She's a not that she didn't deserve it. She's young on the scene, right? Right. Um, and it's a wonderful record. And then Fred Hirsch, of course. Um, yeah. Live in Europe, that's a great a great disc as well. Yeah, T, I mean, going back to Tia, she she really can play well, and mm -hmm. I'm just kind of mm -hmm. out of nowhere. She seems so young and yet so fully formed. Right. And she's a tremendous musician. Yeah, we have a uh, Brad Meldau trio. I mean, a multiple Grammy winner, kind of someone that's again leading the way these days. So. Well, his his trio work and his whole legacy of recording is just marvelous. Mm -hmm as well as uh, Joshua Redman and uh, Still Dreaming with uh, the great Ron Miles. Yep. Brian Blade on that And on that Scott Colley on bass. Yep. That's another wonderful group. I mean, where, do you, where do you stop? Where do yeah. you pick? How can you choose from this much goodness? For sure. But, I mean, this year, emotionally and musically, um, Eminon, the Wayne Shorter Quartet album that won, is an extraordinary piece of work. It really is brings in a lot of disparate ideas and really comes into kind of a science fiction theme focus. Yeah, a really neat packaging uh, for that one as well with, with a graphic novel to accompany yep. the, the album. Yep. Um, apparently, and apparently Wayne's a big big comic book guy. Big comic book and a big reader of yep. fantasy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he also uh, is not in good health. Right, right. Yeah, I know he was just featured at the Kennedy Center Honors right. as well. Um, but yeah, hoping for the best for him and hoping that he... He certainly is one of the great players of our time. Mm -hmm. I got to, working at Blue Note, I got to listen to all the reissues we did with him with, in various formats, his own records or mm -hmm. records with Basie or whoever he played with. Right, Not right. Basie, excuse me, Blakey. Mm -hmm. Then his, you could put all of his recordings with Miles in one beautiful big box. And yep. it's, uh, you could listen to it forever. Really one of the great improvisers of our time. 
So we'll move on to the Best Large Jazz Ensemble album. Had some great nominees there, but again, uh, kind of the big winner for, for this year's Grammys was the John Diversa Big Band and uh, their album. So again, it's um, really got some interesting tracks on there. Stars and Stripes Forever, mm -hmm. Immigrant Song, Led Zeppelin cover. I yeah, mean, that, that was a head turner. For sure. You for get sure. That, that beginning beat going right. and you think, this sounds like Led Zeppelin. And right, sure enough, right. it's a Led Zeppelin cover. Yeah. Um, well, also, the, the large jazz ensemble is a large category of music. It's just broad. Mm -hmm. No, it's not, you're not just listening to a bunch of swing bands play right. their stuff. Um, I mean, John Hollenbeck, the large ensemble, um, that's on New Amsterdam, which is a very interesting label with jazz mixed with very creative new music. And Jim McNeely and the Frankfurt Radio Big Band, which is a fun swinging record. Really, a lot of variety in, that, in this category. For sure. One release that won that's kind of outside the jazz uh, categories, but I think still worth mentioning. We had nominations for Julian Lage, his Modern Lore, that disc, and then the Steve Gadd Band, uh, their self-titled uh, release was also nominated for the Best Contemporary Instrumental Album. Did you get a chance to listen to either of those? I've listened to the Julian Love, and uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean he's really a, a player that's coming on the scene strongly. Yeah, um, and Simon Phillips, the drummer, Protocol Four was an interesting disc, and then Marcus Miller on Blue Note. Right, he's he's just a force of nature. He's just an incredible player. Mm -hmm. Christian Scott with the Emancipation Procrastination. I think I got that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, that's right. Uh, that was another fun one. The Contemporary Ensemble was uh, a, a group that uh, a group of recordings that really had a lot of variety in it. Ninety percent of this could be switched out with a bunch of other very good things too. Not that these aren't the cream of the crop, but there's so much variety and so much uh, different things going on in jazz that uh, you just kind of gets voted down to five or six, and then uh, the choices are made. There you go. So I guess that'll wrap up our discussion of the Grammys. Uh, unless there was anything else you might want no, to add. No, I think we covered those. them all. It was a good, good, good group of music, with a lot of variety, a lot of different colors and flavors. Yeah, anything that's, that's nominated, you'd be well off to just get a copy of and listen to. For sure, for sure. So now let's take a look at some uh, upcoming releases and some that may have just been released. I know Joe Lovano has a new album out, Trio Tapestry. With Marilyn Crispell and piano. Um, and uh, ECM, his first record with ECM with a stunning cover photographed by Jimmy Katz. And uh, it's Joe pushing the boundaries. I mean, I worked right. with Joe for many years at Blue Note and every record, every time he came in with his new project, it was something different mm -hmm. and always entertaining and always interesting and he was passionate about every one of them and for him to move to a uh, a new label after so many years at Blue Note it's just they're giving him a fresh start and uh, really kicked in his creative juices the playing is absolutely fantastic awesome how, and how did you come to meet him he was signed to, actually when I worked at Blue Note in the uh, late 80s he had made a record. He was first signed to our Japanese affiliate, Toshiba EMI, and then we signed him directly to Blue Note. 
and he just started making his fantastic albums, and everyone was different, from big band to trio to live to studio. Um, he was originally, we first heard him in John Schofield's quartet wow. with Billy Stewart on drums and Dennis Irwin on bass. And Joe was, that was a fantastic, fantastic band. And Joe was just starting to break out and do his solo stuff. But uh, he and Sco really had a, had a thing going on that musically. Awesome. And you conducted an interview with him last week, correct? Yes. Mr. Lovano talking about his new ECM record, which is a good step forward for him. And uh, look forward to getting, letting people hear that soon. Awesome. Yeah. So keep an ear out for that. And uh, we'll definitely be posting about that when it's live. Um, Surreal M.E., have, are you familiar with her at, at all? Or uh, I know her work uh, briefly, but I don't know much about her. Yeah, um, her, her upcoming record, uh, Move On, a Sondheim adventure. adventure. Um, it's covering the music of Stephen Sondheim, so that, that should be a really cool one to look out for. As well as Julian Lodge, we mentioned him earlier. He's got a new record coming out called Love Hurts. And then the Coltrane 58 box set. That is something that I've been spending some time with and we'll be talking about down the road. For it's sure. extraordinary, produced by uh, Ashley Kahn, mm -hmm. but pretty much just tracks all of Crack Col Coltrane's recordings for prestige under his own name during that year. And uh, it's extraordinary, just fantastic. Him at some of his, some of his peak performances. Cool, cool. We can talk about a few of the sales that have been going on at Archive Jazz. Um, we've got the Downbeat Magazine Editor's Picks. That's going to be live next week. So there's some good albums on that. Um, and then we recently did a campaign which was very well received on social media of the best album covers of jazz. And so this kind of focused on the work of Francis Wolfe and Reed Miles. Mm -hmm. um, did you have anything to say about kind of their legacy and kind of what makes them so iconic as, as a team? Well, um, Reed Miles wasn't a big jazz fan. He was a designer. Mm -hmm. And he got hooked up with uh, Alfred early. They would just kind of let him have his, have his way. And uh, he was creating things, not in his spare time, but it wasn't his primary job. And he could knock off album covers that would stand the test of time and still look as fresh today as they did 40 years ago. The music of Blue Note is strong enough for any great label to stand on for what then. But to add the, the visuals of Reed Miles, and they had some early designers in the late 40s into the early 50s before Miles that were uh, very good. People that ran the label had a good sense of style and a great sense of a visual sense as well as audio sense. Until the late 50s, Rudy Van Gelder's uh, studio was his parents' house right. in New Jersey before he built his new studio in the early 60s. And so a lot of those photos, it's not only a matter of the, taking the great photo, but how well they're cropped and focused and for sure. used. Any of those albums that uh, you know are highlights for you? From, oh, there's, there's from too many select. to start. Right, right. Too many. I might, might want to mention one of the favorite issues, or favorite releases in the last couple of months is the uh, records with Aaron Ortiz and Don Byron, right. piano and clarinet. And uh, Don and uh, Aaron will be playing at, uh, they did play, they did a gig in Brooklyn at Bar Lunatico right before the holidays, but they've got a couple of dates coming up in New York, in Brooklyn and New York, that if people are around, they should check them out. For sure. 
Anything else that you've been listening to lately that... Um, no, that's you're... pretty much it. Nice, nice. It's kept me busy. There you go. Um, the one thing that I have been going back to, I saw them at the Downtown Festival in uh, New York last month, was Allison Miller and Carmen Steff. Allison Miller's a drummer and Carmen Steff's a pianist. They put out a fantastic album called Science Fair. Uh, they've got a very distinct sound, very distinct style, and um, been listening to that for quite a bit. Awesome, awesome. For the next episode of the Archive Jazz Podcast, we're going to be taking a look at Women's History Month and talking about some of the iconic women of jazz. I'm um, going to have some special guests lined up for you, um, and so stay tuned for that. And while you're at it, give us a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Archive Jazz, A-R-K-I-V-J-A-Z-Z. And I'm Christopher Peck. I'm Tom Everett. And thanks for listening.